Hi there. Thank you for tuning in to a brand new episode of Stories That Made Us. This week, continuing with our theme of Native American folklore, we recount the Seneca tale of Janonsqua, or the Stone Giant. Now to put the story into context, the Janonsqua is the name of a mythological rock giant of the Iroquois-speaking tribes, of whom the Seneca are a prominent part, living south of Lake Ontario, one of the Great Lakes in North America. In some tribal traditions, there is only one such stone giant, while in others, there's a whole race of them. These giants are described as being about twice as tall as humans, with their bodies covered in rock-hard scales that repel all normal weapons. They are associated with winter and ice, and they hunt and eat humans. In some legends, the Janonsqua were once human, and became cannibal monsters as a curse, punishing them for evil deeds, much like the Wendigos of Chippewa mythology. In other legends, the Janonsqua were never human, but were a tribe of primordial man-eating monsters. If you like this tale, consider checking out the Iroquois creation myth in the 38th episode of the first season. The story here has been recounted from the book titled Seneca Myths and Folk Tales, authored by Arthur Parker. Details of the book are in the show notes. So then, let's begin with the grand tale of Janonsqua, or the Stone Giant. Once there was a village in which it was the custom of the people to fight a great deal, for they were very warlike. A strange boy came to this village. He was small, perhaps four years old. No one knew from where he came. He could do nothing for himself, but he wandered around the village, staying here and there in the several lodges. First one family, then another would keep him for a little while. The people did not care much for him, nor pay attention to him. Finally, he grew up to be a young man. There was at this time a good deal of talk among the people about getting up a party to go on the warpath. At last, twenty men were found who were willing to go. This young man, hearing about the party, asked permission to go as well. He asked one and then another, but all refused his request. Thereupon he said, I do not care, I will go anyhow. Now this young man was so peculiar that no one really liked him. The twenty warriors started and he went along with them. When night came, fires were built. There were two men at each fire, but the boy built a fire for himself. Several days passed this way. One night, however, when all were asleep, the young man had a dream. A man appeared to him who said, I have come to warn you that if you do not change your course, 
You shall all perish tomorrow at noon. Tell this to the headman of the party and urge him to change his course. They were at this point going northward. The boy told his dream the next morning to the headman, who scolded him in return saying, I did not want this fellow. He is nothing but hindrance, nothing but a coward. We have come to meet an enemy. Why should we turn back, even if we know there is one in our path? So, after eating their morning meal, they continued northward, paying no heed to the warning in the young man's dream. When the sun was near the middle of his path across the sky, the party noticed that the headman stopped, and then the next one, and then the next. The young boy who brought up the rear found that they were looking at a track, saying, This is the track of the magical bear, the one, the very same which always kills all the people it meets. Its magical power is so great that the instant anyone looks at its tracks, no matter how far off, the bear knows it and returns to destroy that person. As the boy listened, he said, I am very anxious to see this bear. I have never seen such a thing. The men said, You do not wish to see anything so terrible. But the boy insisted. The chief then said, If this is really your wish, you must not follow us. We shall turn off here and go in a different direction, and you can go on northward. But if you meet this bear, you must run in some direction, some course different from ours. The war party tried to make the young boy go with them, but he would not do so. Breaking a small tree that stood near, the young man hung his bundle around his waist. Then he went on. Soon he saw a tremendous object ahead of him. When near it, he recognized it as the great magical bear sitting on a trail with its back toward him. Creeping up, the young man stood looking at it. It had no hair on its body, only a little on the end of its tail. The young man struck the bear with his arrow, whereupon the bear rushed after the youngster who promptly ran away. The bear drew so near as they ran that the youngster could feel its breath. Now he dodged from tree to tree, then darting off straight, as he ran on swiftly, with the bear close behind him, until he came to a stream which looked very deep. The young man then decided to jump over it, and so he sprang across, and the bear leaped after him. Then the youngster sprang back to the other side, and the bear did the same. Thus, they jumped across the stream many times. Now as the young man ran, he felt that his strength was growing greater, while he saw that that of the bear was failing. 
Seeing the bear failing fast, the youth, making a great loop, sprang once more across the stream, with the bear after him. Then he made a loop on the other side, and on going across the river, he saw the bear still weakening. Pursuing the same course once again, he passed the bear about the middle of the stream. He was going one way, and the bear the other. The bear did not follow anymore by sight, but by scent alone. At the end, the tired bear did not cross the stream, but followed all the boy's tracks. Now the beast had failed so much that the youth was just behind it as it kept tracking him. As the bear almost failed in trying to jump across the river, it scrambled to get a footing. Then the boy shot from the bank behind, the arrow entering the middle of one of the animal's forefeet. At this, the great bear scrambled to the bank. Then reeling from tree to tree, it staggered and fell. Rising again, the beast struggled for a time. But at last, it rolled over, dead. The young man left the bear's carcass after he had taken three hairs from its whiskers and one tooth out of its mouth. Then going back to the spot where he had left his bundle and getting it, he followed the trail of the twenty men. Running fast, he overtook them, and then said, I have killed the mighty magic bear, of which you were so much afraid. The rest of the party were naturally greatly astonished, for no man had ever been able to kill this creature. So they said, If he has truly done this, he must have great magic and skills. Let us go back and see. So they all turned back, and after travelling until the sunset, they came to the place where the body of the bear lay. They saw that it was of an enormous size, and said, We will burn up the body. We will keep up the fire all night until it is burnt. Then each man shall take a little of the ashes and a few of the bones, just enough for medicine to give him the bear's magical power. After the fire had gone out, the men went to sleep, and in the latter part of the night they stirred the ashes with sticks, until each found a piece of bone. The chief then said, you must be very careful about taking the remnants of this bear. Let each one, before taking up his bone, say what gifts he wants, what powers he desires. Most of the men desired to be good hunters and brave warriors, and some to be fast runners. One man said, however, I want to be admired by all women. The things that the young men had chosen were good for every purpose, and all shared their wishes, all but the young man, who did not let the others know that he had taken anything. The headman then said, We will go in the same direction, that is, toward the north, 
And so they all set out. The men in the party, meanwhile, had changed their opinion of the young man. They now looked on him with respect as a person of great magical powers. The party travelled many days. One night they camped and lay down to sleep. The young man dreamed again, and his dream this time said, Tomorrow at noon you will meet an enemy of greater number than your own party, and among them will be a very large man of great magic power. He is so much larger than the rest that you will easily know him. You must all fight him. If your party does not believe you when you tell the dream to them, do not mind that, but keep on in the same direction that you are going, and at noon they will know the truth. When you see the enemy, let every man hang up his bundle. Let no one keep his bundle. Then begin to fight, and keep on fighting until you conquer. In the morning, the young man did not tell his dream. He thought that it was useless to do so, for nobody would believe him anyway. They started on after eating their morning meal. When the sun was well up in the sky, they saw a bear get up, stretch itself and look at them, saying, We have now met, and we shall get whatever we want. Thereupon, the bear turned and disappeared. It was evidently one of the enemy who had come to warn them. The headman talked to his men, saying that the enemy was probably near, and they should be of good courage, and that they would conquer the enemy. So they went on. Before very long, they saw the enemy, and the enemy saw them. A war whoop was heard, and then the arrows began to fly. The young man then said, Now let every man hang up his bundle on the tree. After this was done, the fight began. The young man, remembering his dream, watched for the large man. Soon he saw him and noticed that he had a sort of a medicine which he held up in front of his face like a shield, a little to one side, to ward off the arrows. The young man also saw that the man's defence was larger than one he had himself. Now back then it was known that the smaller the defence was, the more power it possessed. And so the young man felt sure of success when he had become aware of this fact. Just at that moment, a large man of the enemy, discovering the young man, said, You will get what you deserve now. You, Janonsqua, I will kill you and thus punish you for treachery. They watched each other, paying no attention to the rest of the people for each was eager to kill the other, but they could not hit until they came hand to hand. They began to strike with clubs and make a terrible fight. Finally, the young man, snatching at the stranger's club, 
hurled it away and threw him down. When the enemy saw their chief man overpowered, they began to run. The youth kept on until he had killed the big man. A large number of the enemy were killed, but not one of the twenty men were injured. Having piled up the dead of the enemy, they burned them. The victors then secured a great string of scalps. Now the big man was not a Janonsqua. He was merely a very large and a strong man with magical powers. The warriors now had great respect for the young man, and when they came home and told everything, the respect of the people increased, so much so that he was made a chief. The people thought of him as Janonsqua, or Stone Giant, though he did not look like one. They remembered only the big man's words, calling him a Janonsqua in the middle of the fight. Now after a while, another expedition was spoken of, and many volunteered. But only thirty were taken, for that was as large a party as was required. All were ready. The women had provisions prepared for the men before they went out. Starting out, they went towards the north as before. On the third night, the young man, now a chief, dreamt that someone came to him as before, saying, Tomorrow night, when you camp, the enemy will be camped nearby, and you will discover each other. Now, it was not the custom of Indians back in those days to attack in the night, but always just at the daybreak. Now you be ready, the man in the dream continued, all of you, as soon as the daylight is dawning, and then attack the enemy. Be sure that you attack first and not they. The next morning, the young man, the chief, the Janonsqua, told his dream. He knew now that the warriors believed him, and they did believe him word for word. That night, when they camped, they discovered the enemy not far away, also arranging a camp. During the night, few of the warriors slept, for they felt anxious, and some were afraid of an attack, although it was not the rule to attack at night. Toward the day, the chief told all to get ready. When light was dawning, they started. On stealing up close to the enemy, they saw that the enemy were also making ready. Whereupon the Janonsqua chief told his men to make a circle around the camp, saying at the same time, When we are almost around, I will raise a whoop. Then let all give the war cry and attack. The chief discovered that the enemy had a warrior among them, one who was a larger man than the others and saw that he had a shield to ward off arrows. Noticing that his shield was about the same size as his own, he said to the men, You must fight desperately, for I do not know how we shall come out. 
the headman of the enemy shouted to him, You are among these men, but you are a Janonsqua, a stone giant. I am determined to kill you. The big man had no name. And so, as the enemy and the war party came nearer and nearer and finally met, the chief and the big man first used their peculiar clubs to fight each other. Then they grappled, and the chief of the thirty, seizing his antagonist, pulled out his arm, which he then threw away, but immediately it flew back. The man in turn pulled off the chief's arm, hurling it away, but it flew back to its place as well, and it was all as it was before. Now while they fought, the shouting of the enemy died away. Once in a while there was a shout and it could be known from the sound that the people were being killed. Now the chief pulled off the man's head and tore off the flesh and then he kept kicking away at the pieces as they came back. It so happened that if fragments of flesh could be kept away until cool, their strength died. And so they did not come back. Hence, the chief continued to fight in this manner until at last he had killed the big man. When the fight was over and the few of the enemy remaining had run away, only fifteen of the chief's men were left, as the other fifteen had been killed. The survivors piled up the body and this time they threw earth over them and so many of their own people were among the dead. Then they started for home, where they remained a long time. When the chief had reached the prime of his life, he said, I am getting well advanced in years and delight in warfare. I want to have one more expedition one final expedition, and then I shall be satisfied. People volunteered to go, and forty were made ready, for that number constituted as large a party as was wanted. These started, going toward the south, for the people they fought with the last time came from the south. The young man this time had a dream as well, in which the same man came to him and said, I have to tell you that you are going to have a difficult time, for a man will be among the enemy who is very powerful, and I am unable to tell whether you will conquer him or not. Tomorrow at noon you will meet the enemy, and just before noon an owl will come to your tail, saying, Be ready! Your enemy is at hand. Then you can get ready to fight. Having told his dream in the morning, the war party started on. Now toward noon they heard the hooting of an owl. It flew along their trail and alighting on a tree said, The enemy is near and they have made this expedition to fight, as of you then each of you will be satisfied. The chief then said, Get ready immediately, hang up your bundles, 
I do not know how we shall come out of this fight if the man keeps on throwing me. But if he throws me twice, run, run away for your dear lives. While they were hanging up their bundles, the war whoop was given by the advancing enemy. Now, as the dream had foretold, the chief saw the strong man and realized that he was stronger than he himself. As they were nearing each other, the opposite side kept calling out, We have come to destroy you. You have destroyed all our other expeditions. Now we will finish you. The chief and the strong man met and fought first with clubs. Then, clinching, they struggled a long time. At last, the chief was thrown. Then the strong man struggled to keep him down, but the chief, arising, threw his enemy, who barely touched the ground before he was up again. The next time the chief was thrown, his men began to run. But turning to look, they stood and watched the two men fight. They saw their chief's arm pulled off, but it flew back into place. Then his head was thrown off whereupon they saw he was weakening, and so some ran home, but five remained in hiding. The enemy, upon seeing the war party fleeing, walked around and gathered up the pieces of the chief's head, for they thought all the war party had run away. The five who were concealed saw them gather the flesh and limbs of the chief, for now they had killed him. Then the five heard the voice of the enemy saying, We will hold a council and give thanks for conquering this man who has destroyed so many of our people. So saying, they began to get ready to do this. They made a circle and the pieces of the chief's body were placed in the center. They were to give thanks by singing the war song. A man rose and sang, and as he sang, he went toward the chief's feet. When the song was ended, he went to the head, saying, You have been conquered. We shall have peace now. Then he struck the pieces of the chief's body with his club, saying, Thus I will punish you. At that moment, the pieces flew together becoming the chief again, who, springing up, killed five people and then laying down, fell apart. Each of the enemy, aghast, then said, I think this man did wrong in wishing to punish the warrior chief after he was dead. This is why we have lost five of our men. We would better kill this man before he brings us any more bad luck and thereupon they cut off his head. Then they sang the war song again, but no one raised a club or other weapon against the dead chief while they were gathering up the corpses. Of the chief's men, ten of the forty got home. They said, the friend whom we depended on is killed, and we would better remain at home hereafter and only defend ourselves. If our enemies desire to fight, they must come here to fight with us.
and so saying, the people stopped sending war parties out. In fact, after a while, they stopped fighting altogether. The people then lived in peace after that. So that's all we have got for this episode. Hope you liked the story. If you did, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Do drop in a feedback and a rating, which helps us out immensely. Share our work, if possible, as much as possible. We appreciate any help in spreading the word of our work. Connect with us on social media especially on Twitter and on Instagram by using the handle at stories THT MDE US. That's at stories THT MDE US. Alternatively, you may choose to shoot us an email with feedback and suggestions at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. That's it then for this time. I hope to see you again next week. Until then, goodbye.